sermon this morning is going to be on the short side. I know you're probably tired of hearing me say that and then maybe not living up to your expectation, but it is going to be a little shorter this morning, uh, mainly because we have a tiny congregation and uh, I just want to uh, touch on the key important points from an important passage in an important letter and uh, then we will uh, be able to uh, think about that through this busy Lord's Day. Uh, I want to first of all just uh, say uh, in, in uh, introduction that I had a, a great time last night with uh, Jeff and Jerry Colvin. Uh, I've made it my goal. Leslie and I have uh, been trying to visit with people in their homes. We've been able to enjoy meals with a number of you all from Metro Crest. People have been very kind, very warm, very welcoming. And we went over to the Colvins last night, had a great time. They have a remarkable story. Uh, it's really a, a blessing to hear the ways God has been at work in their lives over the years. And uh, very, very interesting people, uh, delightful to talk to. And one of the things that interested me last night was Jerry is a speech and debate teacher uh, at uh, Coram Deo Academy in Flower Mound. And I was a speech and debate person when I was in high school. And so speech and debate and all that kind of thing interests me. Uh, our, one of our sons, William, was very involved in speech and debate in high school. So it's always been of interest to me. And so it was, it was interesting to talk to a teacher, an honest-to-goodness speech and debate teacher uh, who does everything from coach the debate team to plan and put on uh, musicals and uh, various kinds of theatrical performances at Coram Deo. Uh, really, really interesting to talk to about all that. One of the things we talked about was public discourse. She teaches high school students about public discourse, whether it's speaking or debating or uh, using other kinds of uh, media to communicate messages. And we were just talking about the sad state of public discourse in our country in the year of grace 2021. It seems as though we've sort of lost the ability to communicate civilly, uh, thoughtfully, uh, respectfully, um, and certainly we've lost the ability to communicate effectively. Uh, it seems like uh, we mostly yell at each other. And uh, I don't know about you, I find that very, very, very frustrating. And uh, I would like to see it improve. I'd love to see our community, our world, our nation uh, be better able once again to speak to each other and be able to listen to each other and hear one another and to not only uh, speak and hear but also behave in a way that uh, encourages cooperation and, and working together. Uh, those things are very difficult. Uh, I will even say impossible apart from the Lord. Um, but with him, all things are possible. And with him, even sinners like us can become better able to communicate, better able to talk to one another and to communicate with and to one another. Uh, that's what Jerry does all the time. Uh, that's what she's trying to do with her students. That's what she's done for many years as a speech and debate teacher. And that's what I'm going to do for just a few minutes this morning. Uh, if you would please uh, open your Bible to... The last chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul, who was himself a great debater, thoroughly trained, he knew how to argue his point, uh, and in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, the passage before us this morning, uh, he's going to speak to that as he speaks to other 
things related to it. But if you would stand here in the congregation this morning. This is Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Gracious Sovereign God, please send your Holy Spirit upon us this morning. Uh, May the same Spirit that moved Paul to write these words stir our cold and uh, distracted hearts so that we might truly hear you, Father. Believe, obey, and rejoice for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Yeah, it was interesting to talk to a speech and debate coach, a Christian, Uh, talking to young people uh, all day, every day about uh, communicating in a reasonable way. Um, I've actually, if you've been here the last few months, will know that I've preached on this passage in this series. We took a passage out of order because of some things going on in our church and uh, some transitions going on. And so I, I, I preached a few months ago, a couple of months ago now, on this passage But we're coming back over it, and I want to fit it again into the context of what Paul has been saying so far in his letter. Um, This is a letter written to a church that he dearly loved, that he knew very well, that he planted. He actually planted the church in Philippi. Uh, Metrocrest is a church plant. Just imagine the church planter who who planted this church, uh, writing a letter of love to a church that he knew so well. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's writing to this church that he knew so well and loved so dearly. And he's beginning the conclusion. He's, he's writing towards the end of, of this four-chapter letter. Uh, this is uh, the uh, beginning of the conclusion. He's pulling together all of his thoughts. And you'll notice that the first thing he says is to rejoice. And he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, I will say rejoice. He, he is stressing the importance of joyfulness, hope, confidence. Uh, that is meant to characterize the Christian life even in the midst of hardship. It doesn't mean that we deny the reality of suffering. We don't. We, we understand suffering is real. It has impact and implications for people's lives. But in the midst of our suffering, we still have joy in the Lord. And that's the context for everything Paul has written to the church in Philippi. Joy. Well, I want to encourage you to pray for and to cultivate an attitude of rejoicing. Uh, the, The way you do that is what Paul is telling us here. We do that by focusing, verse 8, on things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Things that are excellent 
if you're not feeling joyful, it may very well, may very well be that you're not focusing on those things. Maybe like me, you're drawn to focus on the things that are false, the things that are dishonorable, the things that are unjust, the things that are impure, the things that are ugly. And there's so much ugliness in our world. We might focus on the things that anger us, that frustrate us. And let me tell you, if those are the things we focus on exclusively, if that's where we put our time and energy That's going to impact the way we look at everything in the world. That's going to be the way we look at the Christian life. But Paul says, no, those things are real. We'll deal with them. But focus instead and think about and reflect on the things that are beautiful and true. I've been thinking about that a lot this week because there's so much that is untrue that we're blasted with all the time and I spend a lot of time in my mind wrestling with all the lies that are thrown at us I spend a lot of time this week reflecting on things that are absolutely wrong about our world well Paul says don't do that repent of that focus instead on the things that are beautiful And in verse 9, he actually says that we have learned and received and heard and seen these things in him. So grateful for the witness of the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2,000 years ago. And yet here we are in Carrollton, Texas, in the year of grace 2021, reading again the words of the Apostle who wrote, in the midst of his own suffering, these words calling us to rejoice, rejoice. But there's a sentence that really stands out. It's very interesting to me in verse 5. He's, he's been developing all of this um, important theological framework for rejoicing and being confident and hopeful. And then in verse 5, he, it appears as though he shifts gears a bit. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your reasonableness. Really, if I was putting together this paragraph, I would say that sentence didn't really fit in in a way. He's talking about rejoicing. He's talking about focusing on all these positive things. But here he says, be reasonable. Be reasonable. Uh, It's a sad reality that in our cultural context, reasonableness is not in style. (laughs) Uh, one of the things I talked to Jerry about last night was how public discourse has become so unreasonable. I mean, the people that are paid big bucks to speak, they're, they're actually paid to stir you up. They are paid to rile you up, to get you to focus on the bad things, the ugly things, the untrue things, the unhonorable things. That's what they're paid to do. And that filters down, or it may be percolating up. It's hard to know which comes first in this case. But we focus so much on these negative things, and we do it in such an ugly way. It really has become a matter of one side shouting at the other side, and the other side shouting back. It's just yelling. And if you get everybody yelling, guess what? You can't hear anyone. 
That was something Paul didn't want the church to do. It's interesting in verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul makes reference to a disagreement. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche, these two sisters in Christ whom he commends in verse 3, uh, he, he actually singles them out as co-laborers. We talked a little bit about that last week. The love and high regard Paul had for women in his ministry. They were co-laborers. He had the highest regard for them. But he actually urges them to quit disagreeing, to quit arguing. Were they perhaps at the point of yelling at each other? I don't know. It may well be that these two saintly women in their fleshly humanity had actually disintegrated to the point that they were yelling at each other. Let me tell you, my experience of human uh, relationships certainly make that a possibility. Uh, They were very possibly at the point of disagreeing to the point of yelling, uh, disagreeing vehemently. Well, Paul says that we're to be characterized by reasonableness. That's a a wonderful word. Uh, It's actually uh, based on a Greek word, uh, epikes, something like that. Uh, It's a word that's used one time in the entire Bible here in this passage, but its cognate is used about five times. Paul uses most of these in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, and Titus chapter 3, verse 2. And, uh, and, and then James and Peter also use a version of this word uh, uh, in uh, James chapter 3, verse 17, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And in every case, these words, this epiakes, epiakes uh, is meant to underscore what is sometimes translated reasonableness, as here in the RSV, ESV, or it may be translated gentleness, it may be translated patience. Uh, it's a word that underscores getting along with people. It's, it underscores a relation, a relational attitude towards people, being reasonable by being gentle and kind, patient with one another. Uh, it's a word that is used in various versions in uh, other places in the New Testament to describe how leaders in the church are supposed to behave. In fact, that's the word Paul often uses to describe the attitude uh, elders and deacons and leaders in the church are meant to have towards the congregation and the congregation is meant to have towards one another. So Paul says we're to have this reasonableness, this gentleness, this kindness Towards everyone. It's, it's to be, uh, he says, uh, known to everyone. It's, it's not simply to be heard. It's not simply a question of how we debate things. It includes that. But it's actually more deeply the way we live our lives. The way people see us. The, the wholeness of our life is meant to be characterized by reasonableness. Well, reasonableness today is not in style. We like being edgy. Uh, we think that's being authentic. If we're being disagreeable, if we put every argument on the, in the first sentence, that's somehow commendable. And the more uh, volume and the more uh, we are uh, engaged in the argument, then the better in our society. Well, it's... Uh, not really in style today, but in Paul's context, it was also a word that was misunderstood in his day. Uh, this uh, epia case uh, is a word that was used by the, the, by the Greek rhetoricians. Uh, it was meant to be a, a, a way, a style, a, a mindset 
that had to do with presenting your argument in a just and appropriate way. So the speech teachers in ancient Greece would encourage people to use epiakes in their engagement with others. It was meant to be the way governments related to the people. It was, it was, it was meant to be a way of describing a style. Well, what Paul's talking about is, is not simply a style. That's misunderstanding. Certainly be misunderstanding what Paul is saying. Uh, the reasonableness that Paul was talking about is a reasonableness that actually permeates our relationships and it affects the way we live our lives as individuals and together. We're meant to be reasonable people. We're meant to be gentle people who love each other and are kind to each other, both within the church and outside the church. We're meant to be reasonable towards everyone. and It's meant to be visible to everyone. And Paul wraps up his letter to the Philippians by telling them that. He's telling you and me that we are to be reasonable and it should be visible to everybody. My third and last point is this, uh, if, if, if the, our cultural context today rejects reasonableness, if it, if it was misunderstood even in Paul's day as simply a stylistic issue, one that was uh, not at the very core, then three, the Christian context makes it plain that reasonableness is actually perfectly sensible. It is at the core. It makes perfect sense. And Paul tells us why. The number one reason is the Lord is at hand. You see, you and I can be reasonable with one another. We don't have to be ugly and raise our voice and holler and yell because the Lord is at hand. He's drawing nearer. He's nearer at this point in the sermon than he was at the beginning of the sermon. He is at hand. And that shapes our whole worldview. It shapes the way we interact with one another. It shapes the way we interact with the world around us. We don't have anything to prove in that sense because the Lord is at hand. And you and I are meant to live every moment of every day in light of Jesus drawing nearer to us day by day, moment by moment. That's the Christian context of reasonableness. Tim Keller has been doing a lot of uh, thinking and writing and talking on this subject. I love Tim Keller. I read most of the things he writes. Uh, he wrote a, a little article called Backlash and Civility. Uh, it's online. And he mentions many people are opting out of organized religion. They don't, they don't like the fact that organized religion, like the rest of the world, has bought into this yelling attitude, this, this uh, very unreasonable behavior. And then he quotes a political scientist named Robert Putnam. He says, Putnam believes that most of the people checking none in the big surveys they take are not hardcore secularists. They have looked at acerbic, condemning, combative churches and said, if this is religion, I won't know part of it. However, Putnam says, a different kind of church could definitely get a hearing from them. It would have to be different from the old mainline churches that simply reflected the culture and didn't prophetically declare biblical truth. But would it also have to be different than the self-righteous churches that, that didn't preach or speak in humility and love? There is still a role in our society, perhaps a big role, for churches like that. Churches that speak the truth in love. Love. 
being truly reasonable, truly using words that reflect the gospel and living lives and showing behaviors that reflect the gospel. As Paul wraps up his letter to the Philippians, he wants them to know how important the the witness of the church is. That we're to focus on the positive things, the beautiful things, the good things, the things we've seen in Paul's own life. And of course, Paul will be the first to say, the perfect, beautiful things we see in Jesus's life. That's how you and I will grow. That's the way you and I will be effective witnesses for Christ by living Lives that are reasonable, gentle, good, that reflect these eternal values that we see in the scriptures. John Newton is one of my favorites. Uh, he's a the great hymn writer and pastor who uh, uh, lived in England in the 18th century. He wrote a great hymn, Amazing Grace, which we all know. Uh, he said, of all people who engage in controversy, we who are called Calvinists, are most expressly bound by our own principles to the exercise of gentleness and moderation. It's interesting. I I don't know that Calvinists necessarily have the reputation for being moderate and gentle. But Calvin, who was himself solidly reformed, believed that because of our theology, which puts the emphasis on God, because of that, We're the ones most bound to reasonableness, gentleness, moderation. Why? Because we believe that God is in charge. We believe that God is the one who ordains everything. We believe that God is the one who reigns over all nations and all people. He's the sovereign Lord. And because of that, our theology requires us to deal gently with other people. To speak the truth without a doubt, but to do it in a Christ-like way. That's the kind of reasonableness Paul wants the church in Philippi to display. And brothers and sisters, that's the reasonableness I hope to see here at Metrocrest. More and more, a church that speaks the truth without holding anything back, speaking the complete truth of God's word to us and doing it in a reasonable way. Doing it in a gentle, loving, patient, Christ-like way. That's a great prayer for our church. It's a great prayer for our leaders. It's a great prayer for one another. That that would be the way everyone sees us. That's, That's a tall order. That our reasonableness will be seen by everyone. Well, join with me in praying this morning and in the time ahead that as we seek to follow Jesus, that we, like Paul, will point people towards him.